Um, congratulations on surviving the month of June. In this Texas heat, it was bad enough, not to mention doing missions. Um, it was just crazy. The month of June for Impact City Church saw a lot of great things happen for us. We had lots of opportunities to minister to families, lots of opportunities to meet a lot of great people, uh, got some opportunities to just kind of impact the community with both uh, Missions Week around the first, second week of June. If I remember, we had the missions team from the Valley come up here, and we had a great time with them, hung out, we did a lot of cool things. And then last week, we did VBS Week, and that was just insane. Amen? Can I get an amen for that? Who, who here volunteered on that week? And anyway, set up, tear down during the week. It was insanely crazy. We had over an average of about 35 kids every day here. Um, got to share the gospel with them. Got to kind of give some things away. Thank you for all of our sponsors who, who donated. And it was just a really good thing. So give you guys a round of applause for making it through that alive. Today, we're going to start a short series um, to kind of get us through summer. And it's going to be called When God Doesn't make sense when he doesn't make sense and before we start just want to give credit to um, a couple of guys uh, Andy Stanley is a great pastor up in South Carolina or North Carolina one of the Carolinas a place that's really pretty up there and then Pastor Craig Groeschel as well very two inf- very influential pastors who have been at the game for a long time uh, Craig Groeschel is pastor of Life Church he is as arguably the largest church in America uh, set up in various areas around the country and even globally he's a great speaker great leader um, if you guys are looking for any type of supplemental preaching that's the type of guy that I would follow he's a great guy I've been watching him since I was first starting uh, to, to come into my walk with Jesus. And so him and Andy actually came up with this sermon series a while back, and they came up with the bullet points and the ideas. And I thought, wow, that's a really good series to talk about, especially midway through the year. Because midway through the year, uh, we have a good idea of how the rest of the year might play out. And so whenever we, we see what we've done, and we, we have an idea of what might come. And so whenever that happens, it's good for us to reflect. And he wrote this series called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And in this series, we're going to look at three stories in the New Testament that deal with God seeming to be kind of like one um, inattentive to us. Inattentive means like that God seems like he's not listening when we're praying. Like when we were on our knees and we're praying and he doesn't listen. We'll look at whenever God seems like he's being uncooperative with us. That when we're trying to do something and God is pulling us another way. And you're like, God, if you would just work with me, I can get the things done that I know we want to do. And God's like, no, you need to do what I want you to do. And then we'll look finally also at whenever God seems to just be late on things. Like you wanted it done at this certain time of your life, and you prayed for it, but God never did it. But later on, maybe he brings things around in the long run, okay? So let's start off like this. If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen behind me. Uh, Or you can have a Bible under your seat, probably. You can keep that home. That's yours to keep. Or if you get on Facebook, the scripture from today is already in there. As you're turning there, that's good, Joel. As you're turning there, let me ask you all this one question, okay? How many of us here today, in this room, would say that at some point in your life, 
some point in your walk with God, you prayed, and it didn't seem as if God was listening to you. Show of hands. You prayed, and you prayed, and you were honestly, and you felt like God maybe wasn't listening to you. I know I've been there, okay? Like you really had your heart set on something, and you were sending up your prayers, and you kind of looked like the Care Bears whenever they, they kind of send their love, whenever they, okay, you'll never know, you'll know that. And so no 80s kids in here? Or like you're bruising your knees, like praying so much, you know, and you're on there, and you're praying, and you feel like he's not even listening to you. Like you feel like God might be like the guy at the dinner table, the cell phone aholic, who you're having a conversation with someone and they're just there on their phone like, yeah, mm-hmm, sure, yeah, mm-hmm, uh-huh. And you're like, you're not listening to me when I'm talking to you. Why aren't you listening to me? And many of us feel like that sometimes, that when we pray and we don't get a response, that we feel like God is not listening. I think every one of us here can relate to that in some way or another. Okay, and to make matters worse is that there are people around you that make you even more frustrated because it seems like their prayers are getting answered and yours are not. Okay, kind of like the crazy church lady. You know the crazy church lady? The one that says, um, well, I just prayed for the parking space at the very front of the mall to open up. And, and when I drove up, Lord and behold, hallelujah, there it was. And I just pulled right in. You're like, geez, I can never get a parking space up in the mall. Like, I always got to park over there by the Olive Garden and walk over there all the way. Or like, it would have, like or the person in church is like, you wouldn't believe all the great things that are happening to me. I didn't have a guitar. And I needed a guitar so I could worship God. I came home one day, and there was a guitar on my front porch. Wow. Like, crazy. Like, you know when you hear those stories? You hear those people in the church that give you these incredible stories like that, right? And you're kind of in the back of your mind thinking, yeah, right, bro. Yeah, okay, sure. Like, that's awesome. Good for you. Or you get the pastors, like the perfect pastors, right? And you're sitting in church, you're struggling financially, and the guy's all like, I have a million-dollar mansion, and I have a good car, and the Lord is blessing me. And if you sow your, your seed into my ministry, then I will be blessed, and the Lord will bless you like he has blessed me. And you're like, bro, I've been sowing my seed for 12 years, and I'm still living in the duplex. Like, what is up with that? Like, and you get those people that, like, it seems like God's working for them, but he's not working for you. And you're wondering, why is it that it seems like he doesn't listen to me and he's listening to other people? Those are the stories that you hear and you think about, like, man, that could never happen in my life because I've tried and tried and tried and it still doesn't happen, okay? When you look at your friends and they're blessed and they have a job and they have a great boyfriend or girlfriend or marriage, you're jealous of that, you're coveting, that's a sin, but we'll get to that later. And then they're financially blessed, like they have the nice house, they have the nice car, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I tithe every Sunday. I give everything above and beyond my offering. And why is it that this person, even though they don't serve God at all, yet they have everything that I want? Why is it that they get everything and I don't? I've been praying and I feel like he's not listening. When we get like that, we start asking questions like, where is God in all of this? Where is he? He ain't listening to me. Um, Where is God when life doesn't seem to make sense to me? Okay? And then you ask yourself, what do you do when God doesn't listen? When he's being inattentive to you? What do you do when he's inactive in, in your life? What do you do at that point? What do you do when you're praying to God and it doesn't seem like he answers your prayer? And what do you do when God seems silent in your life? You've done your best. You've tried so hard. 
and yet he is silent. Well, today we're going to talk about that. Okay, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, I want you to write down or, or Facebook it or something, whatever. Write it down, get it somewhere on your wall, on your timeline. This is a key point I want to focus on today. Just because God is silent does not mean he is absent. Just because God is silent does not mean he's absent. Just because you may not hear God at the moment does not mean that he is not near you. Just because you might not feel his presence does not mean that he is not working something in your life. Just because God may be silent does not mean that he is absent in your life. And to illustrate this, I wanted us to deal with uh, one of the more challenging um, stories in the Bible. It's kind of a sad story. I think it'd be a drama if it was on Netflix. Um, It's one of those stories about John the Baptist and the King Herod of the day, okay? Now, if you don't know anything about John the Baptist, that's okay. I'm going to fill you in. John the Baptist, a little background on this guy, he was Jesus' cousin, his primo. He was like his number one buddy, right? He was his primo, Okay, y'all know anything about primos? Like, that's your cousin, man. That's your, that's a Hispanic word for cousin, man. You know? Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so that's his cousin, okay? And it's a pretty wild cousin at that. And we all have that one cousin that every time you go to like the family barbecue, you're like, ay, Dios mío, oh God, why is he here? You got that one cousin that's always starting trouble. You got that one cousin that every time he gets together, he's, it's a party, man. It's a rowdy party, okay? This guy was crazy. He lived out in the wilderness, okay? And he was out in the country, so he was a country boy. He drives a four-wheel drive, you know, like he He's out there, okay? Some of y'all caught that. Some of you didn't. It's okay. Country fans, it's all right. And he was a country boy at heart. You probably listened to Luke Bryan. No, no, he's a country boy, so he doesn't listen to that. Anyway, he listened to George Strait, okay? Country boy all the time. He had this gnarly-looking beard, okay? He ate locusts with honey, and he dressed in camel skin and camel fur. Fashion note. You're a pretty awesome bad dude if you dress yourself in camel skin. You got a lot of self-confidence right there. Like that, is, like, that is a fashion statement. Like, you walk into a room, you're awesome. Like, I ain't messing with the guy that is dressing in camel hair. I'm not going to mess with him. Like, can, can you imagine stepping up to this guy? Like, like, you're at, you know, the bar, wherever you're at, and, and like, something crazy happens. And you're like, man, who, who did that? And there's John the Baptist leaning against the wall in camel, in camel fur, dipping a locust in some, some honey. He's like, you want, you want some? You want some? All right. Like that is how tough this dude was. He was a total tough guy, right? A real man's man, okay? And he was a tough dude. He didn't, he didn't just dance around sin. He called it out for what it was, okay? He didn't just kind of be like this, I love you, and God's going to bless you, and it's going to be all no. He was like, you are messing up. You are jacked up, and you need to repent now, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent and be baptized. That was John the Baptist. I'm proud to say that he was John the Baptist, not John like the Presbyterian, or like in John the Baptist, you know, because we're Baptists here, right? He was awesome, okay? But you see that same awesome, tough guy, rough Duck Dynasty characteristic about this guy was the reason why he's in the situation that we're about to read about. It's the reason why he's in the situation. You see, King Herod was married and... Um, but there was some problems with his marriage. King, King Herod, uh, he, he had an issue. Most men deal with this where they start to lust after other women. And King Herod just kind of found his eyes laying upon his brother's wife. 
okay? I didn't get a response. I figured y'all would be like, wow, okay? So I know she was hot. I don't know what was wrong with this chick, right? But I know they started flirting at the family barbecue. But King Herod eventually divorced his current wife, and then he married his brother's wife, who is named Herodias. Now let's hope she's better looking than her name, okay? King she married, he married Herodias, okay? So can you imagine that this massive, massive scandal of the day, that the king, the ruler of the country, divorces the queen and then gets with his sister-in-law and he marries her and then they, they, it was like a crazy affair and John the Baptist was all up in their business, like all up in their business, okay? And he was preaching to them and he was saying, he's like, this isn't right, Like, what you guys are doing, it's sinful. You're an adulterous person. You shouldn't do this. If you you cheated on your wife with your brother's wife, like, that is wrong. There was so many levels of wrong in that. And you're doing it. And because of that, because he was calling out sin, and because he was being truthful to what God's word says, Herodias, the wife, hated John the Baptist to the point that she wanted him dead. But there's the thing, though. Herod, the king, actually believed that John the Baptist was a pretty godly man. And scriptures will tell us that he actually enjoyed the conversations he had with John the Baptist. See, this is an open-minded atheist type guy. Like, he's, he's, he's not, like, I'm not for what you believe in, but I enjoy conversation with you, okay? So he liked John the Baptist. I mean, I wouldn't even consider him maybe a little bit of friends. Because it said that they enjoyed, he enjoyed spending time with John the Baptist, and he gladly listened to him. I mean, let me just be honest, you know. A bearded hair, a bearded face, honey-dipped, you know, locust-eating guy in camel fur. That's a pretty cool dude to hang out with, right? And so, you know, that was the backstory. Here's what happens. If you have Mark chapter 6, verse 17, is where we're going to start today. Verse 17 says this. It says, For Herod, who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married him. So, so she wanted him dead, and, 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 and the king said, No, 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 I'll just arrest him. I'll just put him in jail. Okay, I'm not going to kill him. So for John had been saying to Herod that it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Like, bro, that is just wrong, okay? It says, and Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John. Who would not fear a guy? I told you, in camel hair and beard, okay? For he feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. And that he kept him safe. So he kept him safe. And he heard him and was greatly perplexed when he heard him gladly. So whenever John would talk to him, it kind of like struck something in, in the King Herod's mind. He was, he was perplexed by him. Many times when you talk to your friends and they don't believe in God, just keep talking to them. Get on their level. Find things that are common ground. And they, wouldn't, they might not believe you and like repent and fall on the floor and give their life to Jesus. But if they're perplexed by you. They will continue to listen to you, and you let the Holy Spirit work on them in that way. Okay, getting back. ADD pastor, sorry. So looking at this, we can tell a couple things about John the Baptist. One, he is a man devoted 
who devoted his life to pointing people back up to Jesus. When he was in the wilderness, people were coming. They're like, can we follow you? He says, no, follow him. Follow that guy. Follow Jesus, okay? He also was a man who shared the truth about the evils of sin to those who he loved and cared for and everyone around him who he had the opportunity to tell. He wasn't going to back down. He wasn't going to sugarcoat the gospel. He wasn't going to sugarcoat the need for repentance and a savior, okay? And the other thing was that he was a man who uh, was true and good, okay? He wasn't a bad guy. He was a tough dude, but wasn't a bad dude, okay? And then he was a man who served in the, in the name of Jesus his whole life. I mean, from the moment that Jesus was in Mary's womb, and she saw Elizabeth, and the baby started jumping around and worshiping inside Elizabeth. Elizabeth is John the Baptist's mom. He was worshiping Jesus his whole life. He had devoted to Jesus, okay? And I mean, he would just like do all of this. Now, this dude has just been thrown in prison, and he is innocent. And he's sitting in jail. Have you all been in jail before? Don't answer that question. And he's sitting in jail. He's sitting in jail. And if I'm John the Baptist, if I'm John the Baptist, I'm sitting up in jail, I'm standing up for Jesus, and I, I know he's doing all these miracles, what do you think is going what do you think I think he's going to do for me? If I'm in jail and I'm John the Baptist and Jesus is my homeboy, he's my primo, what do you think I think Jesus is going to do for me? I think he's going to do a miracle for me. Because I know he does miracles. I know he's the son of God. I know he's the Messiah. I know he's going to come do something for me, okay? I mean, like, you know, he's probably thinking, like, I, I, I just stood up for this guy. I always stand for him. Surely, surely he's going to come through for me. He's not going to let me stay in this jail too, too long. I'm his cousin. I mean, I baptized this guy. I'm sure John's in prison. He's just waiting for Jesus to come in in some grand fashion and get him out of there. And he's just there waiting and waiting and waiting. Spoiler alert. Jesus doesn't break him out. Jesus doesn't send one of those newly saved Christians who is willing to do anything for you, Jesus, and run in there and break him out. He doesn't send a nine-foot-tall angel to go scare everyone away and break him out. No, Jesus kept doing his ministry, and John kept waiting and waiting and waiting in prison. Okay? So let's just take a vote here. By a show of hands, how many of you think that while John was in jail, while John was locked up, that he kept his faith in Jesus? Show of hands. Come on. Raise him up. You think, God, he kept his faith in Jesus. Okay, good. How many of y'all, you can put them down. How many of you guys think that John the Baptist started to doubt? Raise your hands, okay. Can't raise your hand on all the, all the answers, John Carlo. <laughs> and the other people who didn't raise their hand, you're just kind of like, I don't want to get into this. I don't know where he's going with this. I don't want to be right. I don't want to be wrong. He, he, he sees me. Okay, so actually, John the Baptist being human, okay, he did what I, I would have probably done, okay? He started asking questions. And he started to wonder, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is Jesus really who I thought he was? Okay, Uh, we have to go to another gospel to see this uh, in the scriptures. But uh, go with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. It says here in Matthew 11 verse 2. John the Baptist is locked up. It says, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of 
Christ. Now let's, let's stop there, okay? Because I don't know how he heard about the deeds of Christ. I don't know how he heard about the miracles that Jesus was doing. I don't know if it was on the newspaper or on Twitter or on Facebook or whatever it was. But somehow, some way, in jail, he got word about all these cool things that Jesus was doing. He found out that he was healing the blind. He found out that he was raising the dead. He found out that he was uh, feeding thousands of people. He found out that he was turning water into wine or for some of us who have a sensitive heart welch's grape juice and so john hears about all of, that was a joke you can laugh john hears about all of these great things and he's probably saying and he's sitting in prison thinking like i'm here in prison for the name of jesus and he's doing party tricks at someone's wedding turning water into wine like when is he going to come for me okay so that's he, he hears about the miracles of jesus the next line says that he sent word by his disciples. So John actually had some guys who hung out with him. He had his disciples, the guys who he was raising up. He got word out there, which is cool because John the Baptist probably sent like you know, a letter out of jail, and that's awesome. And he sent word to his disciples, and he said to them, and, and they said to Jesus. So he said they gave the letter to the disciples, they sent it to Jesus, and they asked Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In other words, I've been out there saying, prepare the way for you all this time. Was I wrong about you? Because right now I'm in jail and you're not here. I've been doing all of this and because you haven't come through for me, maybe you aren't the one that I thought you were, primo. It's like blood in, blood out. Like maybe you're not that type of guy no more, dude. You guys know that one. How do you think Jesus replied? Let me tell you what Jesus did not say. Okay? He didn't go back and say, well, of course I'm the Messiah. Of course. And look, look, chill out. Be cool, bro. We're just kind of organizing a team. Okay? We're going to come over around midnight. We're going to have a distraction. Someone's going to whistle. The guard's going to turn, and we're going to bonk him in the head. Hey, I'm bringing Peter over. I hear he's pretty good with a sword. Uh, maybe he'll, like, you know, maybe cut someone's ear off. We're going to come over. You know what? I'm bringing, you know, Peter's there. He might be something stupid and make a distraction or something. Like, we're, we're going to break you out, man. We're going to, this is like prison break, like back and first century. We're going to do this, man. He might say like, no, no, listen, listen. I know a lawyer. I know an attorney. We're going to appeal this, okay? We're going to take it to the system, and we're going to trust that the jury can do its job. Okay, he could have even said, no, listen, of course I'm the one. Just chill out. I got this. He's like George Lopez. I got this, man. Like, just relax. That's not what he said, though. Jesus replied this in verse 4 in Matthew 11. He says, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. I like, I like that he says, before, like, I'm not even going to answer that question. Just go tell him what I'm doing. Like, okay, John's in prison, quick kill. Tell him what I'm doing over here. And he says, go tell him that the blind receive their sight and that the lame are walking, that lepers are cleansed and that the deaf hear and that the dead are being raised up and that the poor have heard the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now John's like, wait, 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 wait. You're out there, you're healing people, you're like raising the dead, and you're like doing all this, and I'm, you know, you're doing miracles for strangers, bro. And you're telling me that I'm blessed if I don't stumble and because I'm being, you know, uh, on account of yourself? 
You're telling me that I'm blessed if I'm not offended by that? Like, geez, I'm in jail. For you, I was like doing the right thing. Here I am locked up in jail. And you don't even have like a little poof of power to just kind of open that door, make all the guards fall asleep and let me walk out of here. But Jesus continues pushing his message forward while John's in prison. He's doing miracles after miracles. He's doing what God has sent him to do. And John continually waits faithfully, trying to believe in Jesus in prison. At this time, Herod starts to want to have some fun. Herod decides to throw a party. He throws a keg party. I've never been to a keg party, but I hear everyone gets drunk there. And they get all lit up. And so everyone goes to this party, all his buddies there, and they're having a good time. They're getting wasted. Okay, it's spring break over there in the promised land, and everyone's having a good time, okay? And these men were drunk, and what happened was King Herod was like, hey, bring on some entertainment. Now here's where the story gets weird. He calls for Herodias' daughter to come dance for them. Now, I don't know... If this was like her real daughter, like her former daughter from, you know, Philip, you know, her, uh, King Herod's brother. Or if this is like a daughter post King Herod getting married. But either way, okay, either way, Jerry Springer would be proud of this moment. Because he is being entertained by either his niece, his stepdaughter, or his daughter. So she comes in, she's twerking, she's shaking that moneymaker. Okay, I... I just said twerking in church. <laughs> so I heard one guy say one time, but how do you know she wasn't like, how do you know it was a sexual type dance? I'm like, the dude gave her everything. Like, like, like what do you, did you think that he would do that? She just like ballerina dance? Like, no, dude, she was like all up on that. Like, she had to have been. Anyway, she was dancing very promiscuitive. That's not even a word. <laughs> and so she was dancing all, all, all bad, okay? And King Herod, I'm, I'm so tired. And King Herod, King Herod was so wasted. He was so drunk, so lit up, that he did the thing that most men do whenever they get messed up and wasted. Miha, girl, whatever you want, Miha, I give it to you. Maybe there's Sylvester. Like, whatever you want, you got this. Whatever you need. He, he literally said, whatever I own, whatever power I have within my authority, I give it to you. You can do whatever you want because you shook that moneymaker. Well, she's a teenage girl. She doesn't know what she wants. So she goes back to her mom, Herodias, and she says, Mama, what do I ask for? An iPad, you know, they ask for like Justin Bieber tickets. Like, what do I ask for, right? And this is where Herodias saw her chance. Because remember, she hated John the Baptist. And the king would not do anything to harm John the Baptist. But the king also has to keep his word. And so whenever she went over there and seduced him, he gave her everything, including any rights to John the Baptist that he had. And so she tells her mom this, and the mom says, go back to your daddy. 
and asked for the head of John the Baptist. So this is where the story gets amazing. This is where God comes through. She goes back to uh, King Herod, and he's out there with all his buddies, and they're drinking still, and they're having a good time. And she walks up, and she says, I know what I want, Daddy. Father, I want the head of John the Baptist. And the king says, ah, that sucks. I know I made a promise. I got to keep it, though. I know I made a promise to him, but I made a promise to you, and I got to keep it. Okay, you can have the head of John the Baptist. And so he sends the guards. This is where the story gets awesome. He sends the guards into the jail, okay? And as the guards enter the jail of John the Baptist, two angels show up. There is an earthquake that happens. And the angels of the Lord have flaming swords. And they swap the swords over the guards. And they fall asleep. And they're like blinded for a little bit. And they kind of get knocked down. And Herodias is there. And the angel says, you know, you need to stay away. You need to see this, right? And so the angel gets the sword. And like Leonardo in, in Ninja Turtles Part 3, and when they're in, back in Japan, he he put the swords and they chop her head off instead, right? And then John the Baptist, like Stephen Seagal or Mel Gibson, comes out of the, the prison. Smoke is going. The music's like, doo, 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 doo. and he walks out of the prison. And he's like, I'm victorious. I am victorious today. My Lord has saved me. And then he goes over and just like the American dream, gets a nice house in a really nice neighborhood, drives a really nice car because, you know what, the Lord has blessed him. He has this really super hot camel hair model wife. And so, and they have like all these great things, lots of kids because a man needs his boys. And he lives out a comfortable, awesome life. Now, you know if you know the story, that is not the way the story ended. That's the way I would have ended it. That's like summer movie epic, you know, story ending right there. This is what the Bible says happened. Go back to Mark chapter 6 and drill down to verse 26. It says, and the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths to his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent for an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and he beheaded him in prison. The executioner walked into that jail cell beheaded John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the one who served Jesus faithfully. The one who put his life on the line every day, ticking off all the Jews in the land, telling them to repent and be baptized, died. John the Baptist, the one who wanted to be less so that Jesus could be more, died. John the Baptist, the one who was unworthy even to untie the sandals of Jesus, died. John the Baptist, the one who said he would follow him all the time, died. John the Baptist, the one who says, I'm here to prepare a way for you, Jesus. The one whose purpose was to prepare a way for Jesus, died. Jesus had all the power to save him, to rescue him. But instead, the guard went in there put John down on his knees 
and took his head off. Then you may say, whoa, 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 Pastor, that doesn't fit my version of Christianity now. Like, that's not my American version of Christianity where I get to follow Jesus and all these great things happen. I get the promotion at the job I want. I get the nice things that I want. I get to live in the house I want. I never get sick because the Lord, I am, his, I am his temple. The Lord doesn't want me to be sick. I, don't get to, I get to live comfortable and I get to have everything that I want. That doesn't make it that doesn't sound right. This is when God doesn't make sense. This is not what TV preachers talk about to get you to, to tune in. You will never hear Joe Olstein say this sermon. You never hear T.D. Jakes say this sermon. You will never hear any of those TV preachers use this sermon. You know why? Because it goes against the grain of what they preach. This is when God doesn't make sense. We need to take a step back, though. Disconnect from our emotions. And we need to ask what exactly happened here. Okay? Here's what we know. Looking at the evidence. That John's desire was fulfilled. Okay? He was here to prepare a way for Jesus. And so by hearing about the miracles of Jesus, we know that the way was prepared. He came in. He laid the foundation of the road so Jesus can run down it. He fulfilled what he was made to do. And he actually did that. Can we agree? Yes, I so got you guys. More so, we can also recognize that God's purpose was fulfilled. That the blind would see, we hear about miracles, that the deaf were hearing, and that the gospel was being proclaimed. See, John the Baptist, his whole reason for living was to come and prepare a way so that Jesus can pave the road, so that Jesus can heal the blind, you know, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, do all the miracles that he needed to do. He prepared, he saturated the community with the name of Jesus before Jesus even got there. He softened their hearts and helped them be prepared to receive Jesus, okay? We see that more importantly, God's uh, purpose had come to pass. That he fulfilled what he had wanted to do. Can we agree on that? Yes. It came to pass, though. And John's came to pass as well. But the way that John's came to pass didn't happen the way John thought it was going to happen. Proverbs 19.21, you don't have to turn there, you can just listen to this, tells us this, that many are the plans in the mind of a man but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand that means that that, that you can go off and make your plans and you can do whatever you want to do and you can plan for all these great things and you can prepare your life for this but ultimately God's purpose is going to be the one thing left standing at the end of it all many of the plans in the mind of a man but one, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many of the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that will stand. Many of the plans in John's heart, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many of the plans in our hearts, but it is the Lord's purpose that will stand. I'd love for you to write this down if you could. Um, listen, you do not have to understand the plan to trust in God's purpose. 
You don't have to understand it. You just have to trust it. You don't have to even like the plan, but you just have to trust God's purpose. Many of you have been through a lot this past year. This past year has been hard. I know that because I know many of you guys. And many of you guys, I'm getting to know y'all. And I, I don't know this, but maybe, maybe there has been a really rough year. Maybe 2015 was not your year. Maybe 2014 was your year. Maybe 2016 started off good, but midway through February, all hell broke loose. And as your pastor, I know many of you guys are hurting. And y'all hide it well, but I know it. It's there. Maybe your hopes and dreams of a certain job just did not go the way you thought they were. And what you thought was going to be set up for life, you've been laid off or fired or something like that. Maybe the oil field crashed and you're just not doing the way you thought you were going to be doing this time of year last year. Maybe your marriage was barely hanging on by a thread. And you prayed, and you prayed for God to fix it, and you were making plans for that fixing to happen. Like you, you, were, like, you were like, I name it, I claim it, I proclaim it, it's going to happen here, I'm going to make plans. But yet out of nowhere, it just ended up shattering in your hands before God's prayer was answered. Maybe you've been praying for that loved one to get their life together. That son, that daughter, that best friend of yours that just doesn't have their stuff straightened out, but you keep sending up prayers, you keep wanting them to do better, and then you get the news that they have a DWI, you get the news that they're in jail, you get the news that they're just not doing what you hoped they'd be doing. Maybe the plans that you've made for your life have been interrupted or set off course by a series of bad events, maybe just bad health. I want to be loving my kids and my family. I want to be providing for my, my house, but I cannot because my knee is messed up or I cannot because my back is messed up. Maybe a tree branch falls on your head. I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe addiction comes your way. Like, man, I thought I had this covered. I was a year sober. I was a year clean. I thought this was good, but now this happened. Maybe you're in financial debt. And you're like, I've been praying to Galvis, I've been praying, I've been planning, and it's not there. And you don't understand why that God's not answering this one prayer of yours. But remember that you do not have to understand the plan to still trust in God's purpose. He is still good. Amen? Listen, we do not interpret the goodness of our God through our circumstances. Our circumstances are interpreted through the goodness of God. That makes sense? We do not interpret the goodness of God through our circumstances. And many of us are guilty of that. That if life is not going good, God must not be good. But in reality, we need to interpret our circumstances through the goodness of God. That when life is not going good and the circumstances are bad, God is still good. And we can rest in him. And we can find that truth in him. We cannot interpret the goodness of God through our circumstances. You will not make it. That is why you cannot trust in a health, wealth, prosperity type gospel. Because you will not be healthy, wealthy, or prosperity all the time. And if you're not, then you blame God and you don't blame the guy on TV. Because he just tells you you don't have enough faith. Here's the hope for us today. 
we serve a Savior who understands our struggles. Jesus struggled the way we struggled. Jesus, perfect man, son of God, sent from heaven, went through everything that you and I go through. He experienced the exact same thing of doubting his father for a while. I, like, it's here. Fast forward just a bit to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was before the Father praying down in the garden. He knew that the cross was coming. He knew death was coming. And he knew for a second, for a, for a while there, he was going to be separated from the Father so the Father could pour out all of the wrath of, of, of God upon him because he was going to become sin. And for that moment, Jesus was not going to be connected to God because he was going to ultimately become the sin and bear the sin of all of us here in the room. And God was going to pour out that wrath on him. And he knew that was coming. And he didn't like it. It hurt him. The Bible says that he was praying and crying so much that blood was coming from his pores. That he was in such a distress. And he was crying and saying, my God, please remove this cup from me. If there is any other way, can you not make me go through this? Like, please, Lord, you're awesome. You're all-knowing. You're all-sovereign. Why do I have to go through this pain? Would you remove this cup of suffering from me? And nevertheless, he continued to say, but it's not my plan, Lord. It's not my purpose, but your purpose. And he prayed, he says, not my will, God, but your will be done. God, if there is any other way than me going through this, through this pain, going to the cross, would you give me the grace of that, please, Dad? Dad, I don't want to go through this. And you know what happened? The wickedness of mankind nearly beat the life out of Jesus. They beat him up, they scored him, pushed him, hit him, took a crown of thorns and smashed it into his head, drove nails through his hands and hung them on a tree. They beat him to the point of being unrecognizable. They whipped him until pieces of flesh came off of his back. They hung him on that cross, and, 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 and as he's up there, you know what he said? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But God was silent. Jesus prayed, and God was silent. Why have you forsaken me, Dad? Why am I going through this? Can you get an answer? But because God was silent, does not mean that God is absent. Because we are all here today, 2,000 plus years later and everything that has to do with our faith hangs on the fact that God was silent and he allowed his son to go through that pain to fulfill his purpose for me and for you. God loved us enough that his son had to suffer so that we could be here and have a relationship with him. There are other times, though, when your plans just don't seem to work out. There are times when your prayers don't go exactly the way you feel like they should. 
But remember, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. That's why we do not put our faith in our plans, but we continue to trust in God's purpose. So whatever you're going through, whatever trouble you're in, and you pray to God, God, fix this, fix this, please, Lord, and he's silent. You shouldn't stop and say, maybe you're not around, God. Maybe you don't even exist. You should, rather, you should say, God, what is it that you want me to learn from this? What is the purpose that I'm going through this? What is it? I want to learn this. I want to get through this. I want your will to be done. And even though it may not be what you wanted, it is ultimately what he wanted. And every day, that will always be better than our own plans for our own lives. And you put your trust in Jesus, no matter what the circumstances are, even if he's silent. Let's pray. God, you have so much control over our lives. You have ultimate control. Lord, we just want to pray and ask for forgiveness for those times when we feel like we know better. And Lord, just as a child continues to ask for something, but you continue to say no, or you continue to be quiet, so are we. We continue to ask for things in our life. May we trust the fact that you're not making something happen because you have a greater purpose for us. May we know that you work out all things for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. May we be called according to your purpose. May we trust your reasons above our reasons. May we trust ultimately in you. Church, maybe you're here today and Maybe you're going through that. Maybe you're going through something. Maybe you're dealing with a divorce or a job or you're dealing with the lack of, you know, some type of emotion. Maybe you've got this huge decision weighing on your, your mind. You've been praying, but God's been silent. You just rest in his peace for a while and trust the fact that your Father in heaven knows what's best for you. We quit running around trying to do things on our own Listen to the heart of our Father in heaven and do his will and trust that he will do the things that he wants. And it may not look the way we want it, Lord, but we just give you thanks for looking out for us in that way. If you've never trusted in Jesus before, may you just make that trust or that commitment right now. You just make that commitment and say, God, I trust you. I fully surrender to you, Lord. I know that my life is not doing, going the way I wanted it to go. But I, just, I just relinquish my rights of life into your hands so that you may control it and you may give me everlasting life. You know better. And church, may we just continue to live our lives with him in the forefront not in the background, not behind our goals and our aspirations, but may he be first all the time.
May we trust in him. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Let's, uh, let's stand and worship to this.